Amen. All right, you're there in Romans chapter number 12. I'd like you to keep your place there in Romans and go with me to the Old Testament book of Esther, if you would. Keep your finger right there in Romans and go with me to Esther chapter number 1. If you open up your Bible just right in the center, you will more than likely fall in the book of Psalms. And if you go backwards from Psalms, you have Job, then the book of Esther. Psalms, Job, Esther, if you're going backwards. And of course, we've been going through this series entitled Happily Ever After, and we've been learning about marriage and the Christian home. And specifically today, we've been dealing with this idea of conflict resolution in marriage. Whenever you gather people together, there is the potential for conflict. Uh, Conflict is inevitable whenever you gather people because we're sinners. And marriage, as I talked about this morning, is a gathering of two. It's a gathering together of people. Twain become one flesh. And as a result, there's the possibility of conflict from time to time. And uh, we've been dealing with this idea of uh, conflict resolution in marriage. And uh, we talked about, not just today, but recently we've been showing you how God in the Bible highlights uh, sometimes couples fighting. And we talked about Moses and Zipporah and their big fight, and David and Michael and their big fight. And this morning we talked about Job and his wife and their conflict that they had. Uh, tonight I want to highlight another couple that uh, fights in the Bible. And uh, maybe this will just make you feel better about all the fighting you do with your spouse and uh, to see that there's other couples in, in the Bible uh, that, that fought as well. Esther chapter number one, if you would. Here we have the story of a king by the name of Hazuerus and his wife, Queen Vashti. And I want you to notice their conflict. Esther chapter 1, verse 5, the Bible says, And when these days were expired, the king, and this is referring to King Ahasuerus, made a feast unto all the people that were present in Shushan the palace, both unto great and small, seven days in the court of the garden of the king's palace. Skip down to verse number 9, just for sake of time. Also Vashti, the queen, made a feast for the women in the royal house which belonged to King Ahasuerus on the seventh day when the heart of the king was merry with wine. He commanded Mehuman, Bistha, Harbona, Bigtha, Abigtha, Zether, and Carcass, the seven chamberlains that served in the presence of Ahasuerus the king, to bring Vashti the queen before the king with the crown royal. So understand the context here. In verse 5, we saw that the king was having a party uh, for all his friends. He wanted to impress the great and small seven days. And in verse 9, we see the Vashti, the queen, was having her own party, uh, a feast for the women. And here we're told that the king commanded or asked for her to come to his party. Verse 11, to bring Vashti the queen before the king with the crown royal. For what purpose? To show the people and the princess her beauty, for she was fair to look on. Notice verse 12. But the queen Vashti refused to come at the king's commandment by his chamberlains. Therefore, the word therefore meaning for that reason, was the king very wroth, and his anger burned In him. Look down at verse number 19, just for sake of time. Verse number 19, I want you to notice what the king does. He does what the average person does. He goes and gets advice from his friends. And it's not good advice. Verse 19, here's the advice. They said, If it please the king, let there go a royal commandment from him, and let it be written among the laws of the Persians and the Medes that is not to be altered, that Vashti come no more before the king Ahasuerus, and let the king give her royal estate unto another that is better than she. What did they advise? The same thing your friends at your job are going to advise. You can do better than him. You can, you know, you should divorce her. They, they got in this fight. They had this conflict, and they ended in divorce. The book is called the book of Esther because Vashti is put away and Esther replaces the queen as the wife of Ahasuerus. Uh, keep your, uh, excuse me, don't keep your place there. We're going to go back to Romans here in a minute, but go with me to Proverbs just real quickly. Proverbs chapter 16. You're there in Esther. If you keep going past Job, Psalms, into the book of Proverbs, Proverbs chapter 16. And we're going to come back to King Ahasuerus and, and his wife Vashti later on, but I want to talk to you about this idea of conflict, and this morning, 
if you remember, we talked about how to handle conflict, how to manage conflict, and we learned from James the three steps. I hope you remember them. Be swift to hear, slow to speak, slow to wrath. Swift to hear, slow to speak, slow to wrath. Those are the steps that you and I should take whenever we find ourselves in conflict, whenever we find ourselves in the midst of a fight or getting angry or getting upset. What I'd like to talk to you about tonight is how to do something that's even better than handling conflict. Now, when you're handling conflict, and sometimes you don't have a choice, because sometimes the conflict comes to you, like Job. The, the hostile person comes to you, starts jabbing at you, starts fighting with you. What do you do? You should be swift to hear, try to see things from the other person's perspective, slow to speak, slow down and consider what's the real problem, what am I really upset about, and be slow to wrath. Uh, endeavor not to get angry. If you are angry, endeavor not to sin when you're angry, and endeavor not to stay angry. That's what we learned about this morning. Tonight, I want to talk to you about not how to handle conflict, but how to avoid conflict altogether. How to avoid it, how to sidestep it, how to not uh, spend time in conflict. In Proverbs chapter 16 and verse 32, the Bible says, he that is slow to anger, Remember, we we read about that in James this morning, slow to wrath. He that is slow to anger, I want you to notice these words, is better than the mighty. Now, the term mighty in our King James Bible is used for a warrior. Whenever you see a mighty man, the reference there is about a warrior or a soldier, someone who's professionally paid to fight and combat, to go into battle. I want you to notice that the Bible says here, he that is slow to anger is better than the mighty. Now, the mighty would be someone who is a professional at fighting who gets paid to engage in combat, in battles, in conflict. But God says, you know what's better? You know what's better than being good at fighting? He says, what's better than being a mighty warrior whose uh, profession is to fight and who has a lot of experience in fighting and can fight? He said, you know what's better than being really good at fighting is avoiding a fight. He that is slow to anger, he says. The person that doesn't even get angry enough to engage in a fight is better than the mighty. And he that ruleth his spirit than he that taketh a city. He says, you might think that someone who's able to take a city, to uh, uh, invade a city and, and take it over, that that's impressive. But God says, you know what's more impressive than that? Is someone who rules his own spirit. Someone who's slow to anger is better than the mighty. Go to Proverbs chapter 20. Proverbs chapter 20. Proverbs chapter 20 and verse 3, Proverbs 20 and verse 3, the Bible says it is an honor for a man to cease from strife. He says, look, the honor, the respect, the respectable thing is not for a man who engages in strife, but one who has the ability to cease from strife. It is an honor for a man to cease from strife. Here's a contrast, but every fool will be meddling. See, a fool meddles in conflict. They engage in conflict. They get involved in things that maybe don't even necessarily pertain to them. But the honor of a man, the Bible says, is not to win a fight, but to cease from strife. Go to Proverbs 29. Look at verse 8. Let me give you another example. Proverbs 29 and verse 8. Proverbs 29 and verse 8, the Bible says, Scornful men bring a city into a snare. Notice, but wise men turn away wrath. I want you to notice that the Bible consistently teaches that a wise person does not engage in wrath, they turn away wrath. An honorable man does not engage in strife, they cease from strife. The mighty man is good, but it's better to be slow to anger because the Bible teaches, look, Even better than being good at fighting is being good at avoiding a fight. Even better than being good at engaging in conflict is being good at avoiding and sidestepping conflicts altogether. Go to Romans chapter number 12. Romans chapter number 12. Keep your place in Proverbs, please. We're going to go back and forth between Romans and Proverbs uh, tonight. So find Romans chapter 12 is where we read our text tonight. And again, keep your place in Proverbs, Romans chapter 12. And let me say this. 
like I said this morning, the things we're talking about tonight, I'm talking about them specifically in a series on marriage because I think this is needed because there is, tends to be a lot of conflict within marriage. So I want to teach you how to handle marriage, uh, how to handle conflict in marriage, and how to avoid conflict in marriage. But let me just say this. The things we talked about this morning and the things we're going to talk about tonight are not, you know, just only for marriage. They, you can use these in any area of conflict. It's not just about fighting with your wife or fighting with your husband. Uh, you can be swift to hear, slow to speak, slow to wrath at work. You can be swift to hear, slow to speak, slow to wrath at church. You can be swift to hear, slow to speak, slow to wrath with your neighbors and your co-workers and your in-laws and your family. And whatever. look, it's with every, this applies to everyone in regards to conflict. We were talking about this morning, and when we talk about tonight, you can apply it to everyone as well. And look, you can... Please hear me out. Some of you think, and people get this idea sometimes, and people make these jokes, and they say like, well, you know, if you're married, you're just going to be fighting the rest of your life, and people get these ideas. But can I tell you something? You can have a marriage of peace. You say, how do you know that? Well, I know that a couple of ways. First of all, I know that because I grew up in a home where my parents really did, and I'm not saying my parents are perfect. My parents are here tonight, and I'm not saying they're perfect. They're sinners like anybody else, and, and I'm sure they fought like anybody else. But I can tell you this. I personally have the testimony growing up in a home where I never saw my parents fight. Now, I'm not saying they didn't fight. I'm not saying, I'm sure if you ask them, they'd be like, oh, no, no, don't put that on us. So, you know, I don't know. Um, you know, I just don't remember. Maybe I blocked it out. I don't know. But uh, <laughs> I, don't, I don't have a memory of ever seeing them fight. Did they have disagreement? I'm sure they did. And, and I thank God for that. I can tell you this. In my marriage now, and I'm not, and please don't take this the wrong way, and I'm not standing up here saying that I'm perfect or my wife is perfect. Far from it. I am a sinner like anyone else, and my wife is perfect, but I'm a sinner like anyone else. Uh, but I can tell you this. I, I don't even remember the last time my wife and I fought. And I'm not saying that we are perfect, and I'm not saying that we don't have, you know, problems or whatever like everybody else. Uh, and and I, I, can, I can honestly tell you, I think one of the reasons that we, 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 don't, we don't fight, and this is not a positive or, or negative, it's just a, a truth. We spend so much time dealing with your fighting that by the time we get home, we don't have the energy to fight. We're just like, let's just, let's just be nice to each other. Um, and, uh, you know, we, we, we spend so much time teaching people about being swift to hear and slow to speak and slow to wrath and uh, teaching these concepts to other people that we just kind of come home and we're like, Can we, I love you, you know, and, uh, and praise God for that. But here's the point is that you can have a peaceful marriage. You're going to have a happy marriage. You're going to have and happily ever after. So uh, let me teach you tonight. This morning I taught you how to handle conflict. Tonight, let me teach you how to avoid conflict altogether, how to sidestep it, how to not deal with it in your marriage. I gave you three steps this morning. I'm going to give you two steps tonight. Three steps for handling marriage. Be swift to hear, slow to speak, slow to wrap. Two steps for avoiding conflict. Number one, and I would encourage you to write this down. If you're able to write this down, if you don't have a baby sitting on your lap, on the back of your course of the week, there's a place for you to write these things down. Step one, avoid conflict by diffusing it. Avoid conflict by diffusing it. You say, what does that mean? The word diffuse means to make less dangerous, make less tense, make less hectic. The idea is that you have a bomb that is ready to explode and you diffuse it. You cut it off so that it doesn't blow up. In life, one thing that you should learn is that you can avoid conflict. Oftentimes, you can avoid conflict by diffusing it altogether. You say, how do I do that? Well, here, number one, you diffuse conflict by not recompensing evil with evil. Romans chapter 12, are you there? Look at verse 17. Romans 12 and verse 17 says this, recompense, that word recompense means to repay or to make restitution or to get revenge, to pay something back. The Bible says recompense to no man evil for evil. The Bible says, look, if somebody, if somebody comes at you and they're having a bad day, like we saw this morning with Job and his wife, and she was under stress and she was in a lot of pain and she came and, and said something mean, 
to Job there and said, why don't you just curse God and die? Hey, realize that from time to time, people are going to be going through stress, going through difficult times, uh, just not where they should be maybe spiritually, and they might say something rude to you. They might say something mean to you. They might say something that's not called for. They might say something that they don't even mean, but they're just under stress and uh, a lot of tension. And you say, well, what do I do in that moment? Well, you have a choice right then and there. When somebody comes at you in a mean way, you have a choice whether I'm going to engage in this fight because I'm mighty or I'm going to defuse this thing because I'm wise. Because better than fighting and winning a fight is learning to avoid the fight altogether. How do you do that? Well, here's how you defuse by not recompensing evil with evil. You don't, just because someone says something mean to you, you don't have to say something mean back. Just because somebody says something you don't like doesn't mean you, don't, you have to do something they don't like back. Just because somebody gave you the evil eye doesn't mean you have to give them a bulldog face. We don't have to recompense evil for evil. Keep your place there in Romans if you would. Go back to Proverbs if you have your finger there. We're going to go back and forth between Romans and Proverbs. Proverbs chapter 20. Proverbs chapter 20 and verse 22. See, this is the problem that we have. There's a phrase. It's called, it, 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 there's a phrase for this. It's called tit for tat. The phrase means that tit for tat means that the infliction of an injury or insult is uh, returned for one that has been suffered. Someone insults me, so I insult them back. Somebody offends me, so I offend them back. Somebody injures me, so I injure them back. And the secret to peace is this, that you don't always have to recompense evil for evil. You can refuse the whole thing by choosing not to recompense. Notice Proverbs chapter 20. Look at verse 22. Notice what the Bible says. Say not thou, I will recompense evil, but wait on the Lord, and he shall save thee. Look at Proverbs 24 and verse 29. Proverbs 24, if you flip over to Proverbs 24, look at verse 29. The Bible says this. Say not, say not, I will do so to him. Listen to me. This is how some of you are living your marriage life. Your married life. I will do so to him as he hath done to me. I will render to the man according to his works. Now, you can live that way if you want and be miserable. The Bible says, hey, don't say that. Don't say, say not, I will do to him as he hath done to me. Say not, I will render to the man according to his work. The Bible says, recompense to no man evil for evil. And here's what I'm telling you. You can avoid conflicts. You can avoid fights. You can avoid drama. You can avoid all that time and energy you spend in fighting and engaging and, and fighting and saying mean things to your own. Hey, you can diffuse that whole thing by choosing. When they come at you, when they say something mean, when they're not having a good day, when they say something, it's not fair, it's not right, you don't deserve that. I get that. But you can choose to not recompense. And diffuse the whole thing. How do you diffuse? By not recompensing evil with evil. Those are your actions. There's another thing you could do. You're there in Proverbs 24. Go to Proverbs 15. Proverbs chapter 15. You can diffuse by not recompensing evil with evil. And you can, you can diffuse by not responding with anger. Proverbs chapter 15 and verse 1, notice what the Bible says. A soft answer turneth away wrath. This is a verse that every single person in this room should commit to memory. This is a verse that you should teach your children. My wife in our schoolroom where she homeschools the children has this verse on the wall. Something we try to teach our children. Our children are not perfect. Something we try to teach, we try to teach you. You're not perfect either. A soft answer turneth away wrath. Notice, notice the contrast, though. But grievous words stir up anger. See, sometimes somebody said, you, you, go, you go to work and your boss says something to you, and it's not fair, it's not right, he's having a bad day. You get a choice right then and there. Am I, am I going to respond with grievous words that will stir up anger? Or can I respond with a soft answer? A soft answer turneth away wrath. You say, well, that's weak. No, that's wise. Amen. That's weak. No, 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 that's wisdom. See, a wise person knows that it is better, it is better to be slow of anger. It is better to avoid conflict than to be good at conflict. It's 
It's better to diffuse the whole thing altogether. So how do we avoid conflict? Well, you can avoid it by diffusing it. How do you diffuse it? Number one, by not recompensing evil with evil. Number two, by not responding with anger. By not responding with angry words. Go with me if you would. Keep your place in Proverbs and go with me to the book of Ephesians. Ephesians chapter 4. You're there in Romans and, and keep your place in Romans. But from Romans, you go past 1st, 2nd Corinthians, Galatians, and Ephesians into the book of Ephesians. Romans, 1st, 2nd Corinthians, Galatians, and Ephesians. Ephesians chapter 4. You ought to diffuse anger by not responding uh, with angry words. Diffuse conflict by not responding with anger. Now, what I'm about to teach you right now is something that I have taught a lot. In fact, as I begin to say the word, some of you will probably be able to finish it. But that's okay. In fact, that's not only okay, that's good. Because it's good, like I said this morning, to be reminded of some of these things. It's good to be reminded, and, and, and one of my goals is to repeat myself so often, you know, teach the same truth, maybe in different formats and package them in different ways, but teach the same truth over and over and over again that you can't but, that, that it just gets put into your heart, and, and you can't but remember that. I mean, I'm hoping you say, Pastor, you know, you preached this morning about being uh, slow to, uh, uh, swift to hear and slow to speak and slow to write. And I remember you preached that back in the anger management series. And I remember you preached that back in the book of James. And I remember you preached that back. In the, and you can go back and I preached that concept over and over. You say, why do you keep repeating? Why do you keep repeating? Why do you keep repeating? Because I hope that the next time you're fighting with your wife, the next time you're fighting with your husband, the next time you're getting ready to throw that lamp at them or whatever you do, that it just comes into your mind. Swift to hear, slow to speak, slow to wrath. Swift to hear, slow to speak, slow to wrath. Here's another one. You ought to diffuse conflict by responding with anger. The Bible says in Ephesians 4 and verse 29, Let no corrupt communication proceed out of your mouth, but that which is good to the use of edifying, that it may minister grace unto the hearer. I love this verse because it teaches us about our words, how to respond. Because the Bible says a soft answer turneth away wrath. But what I've learned is that sometimes people, they have problems with understanding what a soft answer is. How do you respond in a soft way? How do you respond in a way that is not going to upset someone? How do you respond? Well, in Ephesians 4.29, the Bible tells us to let no corrupt communication proceed out of your mouth, but that which is good to the use of edifying, that it may minister grace unto the hearers. Now, over the years, I have broken this verse into three different sections, and I've developed these three different words that I've taught you. I've taught our church people, and I'm teaching you again. You say, why? Because I want you to learn this, because I want you to have it. Before you speak... Before you open your mouth. Now this is true of any time, any time you open your mouth. But specifically right now, we're applying it to a time of fighting. When someone's coming at you, they're bringing conflict to you. And you remember, recompense to no man evil for evil. You remember, respond not with angry words. A soft answer turneth away wrath. What do I do? What do I do? Here's what you do. Three questions you got to ask yourself. Literally, you have to ask yourself every time. Every time you open your mouth, you got to ask yourself this question. You, you know what they are. Number one, is it true? Number two, is it kind? Number three, is it necessary? Is it true? Is it kind? Is it necessary? You say, Pastor, you've taught us that before. Good. I want you to remember it. Is it true? Notice there, Ephesians 4.29. Let no corrupt communication proceed out of your mouth. The word corrupt means with error or dishonesty. Sometimes people talk about someone, they're corrupt, that corrupt politician. It means that they are dishonest. There's error in their way. The Bible says, let no corrupt communication proceed out of your mouth. The Bible says, don't allow words that are corrupt to come out of your mouth. What does that mean? What it means is that we should not allow things to come out of our mouth that are not true. Amen. We should not allow things to, to come out of our mouth that we have not verified as true. Listen, ladies, the Bible talks a lot about these busybody ladies that like to go from house to house and, 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 and speak gossip and, and these things. You have not be repeating things that you don't know that are true. And, and just because somebody told you something doesn't make it so. The Bible says, let every word be established by two or three witnesses. 
If somebody just told you something and you just run with it and start spreading it everywhere, you're a gossip and you're wicked as hell. It's not right. It's not right for you to spread things that are not true. It's not right for you to say things that have not been verified. So the Bible says, let no corrupt communication proceed out of your mouth. You you ought to ask yourself this question. Is it true? Is it true? Is what I'm saying right now, is what I'm repeating right now, is what I'm communicating right now, is it true or is it corrupt? Is it true or is it dishonest? Is it true or is it an error? Is it true? And look, you got to ask yourself this question. Is what I'm about to say true? And if the answer is no, then you shut your mouth and you don't say it. It may be true. If the answer is, I don't know, then you shut your mouth and you don't say it. It's not right to spread lies about people that you don't know that they're true. Well, they might be true. You go ahead and ruin somebody's life that way. Ask yourself, is it true? Is it true? Is it true? But then you got to ask this question. Is it kind? Is it kind? See, the Bible says, look at it. Let no corrupt communication proceed out of your mouth. Is it true? But that which is good to use of edifying, we'll come back to that in a minute. Notice the last part of verse 29, that it may minister grace unto the hearer. Don't you love that word grace? Usually when we think of the word grace, we think of salvation. For by grace are you saved through faith. The word grace means unmerited, undeserved favor. It means you're getting something you did not earn. It means you're getting something you do not deserve. And Paul teaches us here that not only should our words be with no corrupt communication, but they should also minister grace unto the hearer. So you got to ask yourself, is what I'm saying kind? Now let me just say this, because I've taught this over the years, and I've learned that people like, sometimes people just want to, they hear what they want to hear. These three questions are not autonomous to each other. It's like, well, I, you know, sometimes I ask, well, why do you say that? Well, it's true. Okay, but here's what you got to ask. Is it true? Is it kind? Is it necessary? You need to get a positive on all of those. You say, I got to speak the truth. Okay, but you can say it kindly. Paul said that we speak the truth in love. Now, sometimes people don't want to hear the truth. Sometimes the truth itself is offensive. And I've learned that sometimes, no matter how kindly you speak the truth, no matter how kindly you say the truth, people get offended and get angry and get upset. And you know what? If that's the truth, if they get offended at truth, no matter how kind you are about it, then that's between them and God. That's not your problem. But sometimes it's not what we said, it's how we said it. So you got to ask yourself, is it true? Then you ought to ask yourself, is it kind? It may be true, but could you have said it in a nicer way? Could you have said it in a kinder way? Could you have said what the, could you have done what the Bible says? A soft answer turneth away wrath. So you gotta ask yourself this question before you speak. Before you speak, I'm just trying to help you. You can go ahead and have a crappy marriage if you want, a marriage if you want. You know, it's been it's been working for you, right? Or you can actually try to follow some biblical guidelines here. Is it true? Is it kind? Here's the third question. Is it necessary? Look at verse 29. Let no corrupt communication proceed out of your mouth. Notice this phrase. But that which is good to the use of edifying. The words that you speak should build people up. They should be something that edifies them. So you got to ask yourself, is it necessary? Is what I'm saying necessary? Do I... Because some of these people, you know... You get into these refereeing matches, you know, with people. And it's like, well, I said this, and she said that, and he said this, and he said that. And then you ask them, well, is it true? It's true. Is it kind? Well, I don't know. Is it necessary? Is it necessary? I mean, if it's not necessary, now look, if, if, if you, you're, you're thinking, I, I got I to gotta say something, I got to say this. Should I say it? A soft answer, turn it the way right. What should I do? Ask yourself this question. Is it true? Yes. Is it kind? I can say it in a kind way. Is it necessary? If the answer is yeah, no, yes, I need to say this. I need to communicate this. It is necessary. Then if, look, if you get a positive on all three, then, then do it. As long as you do it following all three. You're telling the truth. You're saying it kindly. And it's necessary. Oftentimes, we, we're like, well, it's true, and, and, and it was necessary, but it wasn't kind. Well, it, it, it was true, and I think it was kind, but it wasn't necessary. You know, there's some things that you don't have to say to people. I've always found this. If they can't do anything about it, 
You know? And what's the point of bringing it up? I mean, if it's not necessary, if you can't help them, if you can't, you know, uh, Bill, over the years, I've had people attack me, attack this church, attack this church. Obviously, I get up and preach three times a week. You, there's no way you can get up and speak for an hour, three times a week, for 11 years, and not have some enemies. Right. You know, unless you're Joel Osteen, you're not preaching the truth at all. Right. But, you know, people oftentimes, you know, I'll preach the truth, and people get mad at me. And it's always funny to me, because I've always just thought this is hilarious. You know, they'll, they'll, they, you, you beat them with the Bible. You say, well, the Bible says this, and, and the Bible says that, and you, 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 you show them what the Bible says, and then they're like, oh, yeah, oh, yeah, well, you're short. <laughs> and it's like, yeah, thanks, I didn't know that. And, and you, know, you know, when somebody starts making fun of your looks, you know you're winning the fight, by the way. But, you know, I always think to myself, okay, well, let's, let's say, you know, that's a valid argument. I'm short. Well, what can I do about that? Is it really necessary? I, I think we all know. Is it true? Is it, I don't care, by the way. Just, you know. Is it true? Is it kind? Is it necessary? Is it true? Is it kind? Is it necessary? Is what I'm saying of no corrupt communication, is what I'm saying ministering grace unto the hearer, is what I'm saying helping you, edifying you, building you up? If, if you don't say yes to all three of these questions, and you need all three of these questions, then you're probably going to get in a fight or start a fight. So we have to learn to diffuse, avoid conflict. You say, how do we do it? By not recompensing evil with evil, by not responding with anger, by not responding in a mean way, understanding that a soft answer turneth away wrath. Go to Philippians, if you would, Philippians chapter 2. You're there in Ephesians. Flip over to Philippians. Philippians chapter 2. Philippians chapter 2. Say, Pastor, why don't you care that you're short? Because my wife is better than your wife anyway, so you're tall. <laughs> so I won. Philippians chapter 2. I'm joking. Your wife is nice, I'm sure. You ought to avoid conflict by diffusing it, and you ought to avoid conflict by deflecting it. What does it mean to deflect? Deflect means to cause someone to deviate from an intended purpose. You ever meet someone where you felt like they were just trying to get start a fight? Well, one thing that we can do is diffuse it, recompense no man evil for evil by not responding with anger. Another way we can, another way thing we can do is deflect it, deflect it. Don't allow them to meet their intended purpose, deviate that purpose. You say, how do we do that? Here's how you do it. Number one, deflect conflict by esteeming others better than yourself. Philippians chapter 2 and verse 3. Philippians chapter 2 and verse 3. The Bible says, Let nothing be done through strife or vain glory. But in lowliness of mind, let each esteem other better than themselves. Years ago, when uh, Brother Stucky was working for us here before he, we sent him off to be an evangelist in the Philippines, he uh, took care of a bunch of our stuff and he, he, he does all our transcribing of sermons, and one of his tasks is that he transcribes the sermons that I preach, and we use those to send them to prisoners all across the, the country, and people download them on our website and all that stuff. And I remember he said to me, I think the number one quoted verse at Verity Baptist Church, the verse that is quoted the most from your preaching is Philippians chapter 2 and verse 3, let nothing be done through strife or vainglory, but in lowliness of mind let each esteem other better than themselves. And this is the key. How do you deflect it? How do you deflect uh, 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 anger? How do you deflect conflict? Here's how you do it. By esteeming others better than yourself. By just deciding that, you know what? I'm going to treat you as though you are better. I'm going to humble myself. In lowliness of mind, I'm going to esteem you as better than myself. And I'm not going to respond to you. I'm not going to let you uh, get me in this tit-for-tat fight and conflict that you want to do. Go back to Romans chapter 12. This is taught throughout the whole Bible. Romans chapter number 12. Look at verse 10. Romans chapter 12 and verse 10. You're there in Philippians. Just flip back to Romans 12. Look at verse 10. Be kindly affection one to another with brotherly love. Notice, in honor preferring one another. Now look, this does not come naturally. 
to treat people like they're better than us. But if you just, if you just decide, you know what? In lowliness of mind, I'm going to esteem others better than myself. Somebody says, I, you know, I'm going to take this from you. You say, sure, no problem. I, you know, you did this. I'm sorry about that. Esteeming others better than yourself is a great way to just deflect it. And oftentimes when we esteem others better than ourselves, it kind of takes the wind out of their sails. Why? Because a soft answer turneth away wrath. So we ought to, in honor, prefer one another. We ought to deflect conflict by esteeming other better than ourselves. But let me say this as well. Keep your place down in Romans. We're going to come back to it. Go to Matthew chapter number 5. The first book in the New Testament, Matthew chapter 5, should be fairly easy to find. Not only do we deflect conflict by esteeming other better than ourselves, but we deflect conflict by being the bigger person. That, I'm sure you've heard that phrase before, being the bigger person, be the bigger person. What does that mean? It means to be the more mature the more self-controlled person in a situation or argument, even if the other person is acting childish or petty, being the bigger person means that you act like the adult, that you act like the mature Christian, that you act like the self-controlled Christian. And look, this goes against what our society teaches, but this is what the Bible teaches. This is what Jesus taught about real Christianity. Matthew chapter 5, look at verse 38. Notice what Jesus said, Matthew 5, 38. He says, you have heard that it had been said, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. Now let me just say this. Sometimes people quote Jesus, Matthew 5.38, because Jesus is quoting the Old Testament Mosaic law. Moses gave the law that said, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. And Jesus here brings up that law, and people will say, see, Jesus was against the Old Testament law. But that's not what Jesus is saying here. See, the law of an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth was a law that was given to government. Government is established and instituted for several purposes. One of the purposes is to provide justice, to provide judgment. So when someone is harmed, someone is attacked, someone is hurt or injured, the government is supposed to step in, and they are supposed to provide justice. That's what the whole point of a uh, judge and a courtroom, that's what the whole point's about. I know that we live in the United States of America that has the motto of injustice for all, but true judgment is an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. What Jesus is teaching, though, is that this is not the way we should live our lives. The government should uh, be the ones instituting punishments that are an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. But you should not take that into your own hands. You say, well, what should I do personally? Notice what he says, Matthew 5.38. You have heard that it has been said, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. But I say unto you that ye resist not evil. Remember, we learned in Romans, recompense to no man evil for evil. Jesus said, when you take matters into your own hands and you go out and pull out an eye for every eye or take out a tooth for every tooth you are not resisting evil the word resist means uh not resisting means that you are retaliating you are seeking your own revenge you are taking revenge into your own hand he says there but i say unto you that you resist not evil but whosoever shall smite thee on thy right cheek turn to him the other also I mean, think about what Jesus is saying. To have someone smite you on the face is to have someone just smack you or slap you uh, um, in the face. I mean, I, I don't know that I can. I can't think of a more disrespectful thing than to slap someone in their face. And Jesus says, if somebody smites you, he says, look, but I say unto you that you resist not evil, but whosoever shall smite thee on the right cheek, smite him back. Is that what he said? An eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. No, no. He says, turn unto him the other also. He says, don't, don't hit them back. Just turn the other cheek. Look at verse 40. And if any man will sue thee at the law and take away thy coat, don't fight him. At the, to get, he says, let him have thy cloak also. He says, look, sometimes being, we have to be the bigger person. 1 Corinthians. Go to 1 Corinthians. You're there in Romans. Go. 1 Corinthians chapter 6. 1 Corinthians chapter 6. 1 Corinthians chapter 6 and verse 6. 
sometimes we have to deflect conflict by esteeming other better than ourselves. We have to deflect conflict by being the bigger person. 1 Corinthians chapter 6 and verse 6, the Bible says, But brother goeth to law with brother. This is Paul speaking to the church at Corinth. He's talking to believers. He said, A brother is a saved man. And brother goeth to law with brother, and that before the unbelievers. Now therefore, there is utterly a fault among you, because you go to law one with another. He says, why do you not rather take wrong? Why do you not rather suffer yourselves to be defrauded? He's saying, look, sometimes it's okay to be defrauded. Sometimes it's okay to allow yourself, suffer yourself to be defrauded. Go back to Matthew chapter 5. Now let me just say this. This is not teaching that you should allow people to take advantage of you and, and steal from you or, or to do things that are wrong. This is not what the Bible is teaching. Because in Matthew chapter 7, Jesus himself gives us an outline for how to deal with those things. If a brother offends you, if a brother does something that wrongs you, what are you supposed to do? Matthew chapter 7, step 1, you go to them face to face, and say, hey, you've wronged me. You've done wrong to me. You know, you uh, stole this money from me. And, uh, and, and, or whatever, you confront them. And if that doesn't work, then the Bible says you bring two witnesses. And by the way, if you're doing this at Verity Baptist Church, I need to be one of those witnesses, all right? You need to involve me in this process. Uh, but, you know, you bring a witness and then you, you bring it to, the wit to a witness that you, you say, here's what happened. Uh, we made this deal. He was going to do this and I was going to pay him this much or I was going to do this and he was going to pay me this much and, and he never paid and he stole X amount of dollars from me. And you bring it before the witnesses that every word may be established and then you figure out, okay, where's the evidence? What's the truth? What needs to happen? And then the church, look, the Bible teaches that the church makes judgment. And if they refuse to hear the witnesses, then you bring it before the church and you throw them out of church. And the Bible says you treat them as an infidel, as a heathen. You, you treat them like someone that's not even saved. So the Bible is not teaching here to just allow people to steal from you or those things. But the Bible is teaching that sometimes the best thing to do is to just take the wrong. And by the way, let me just say this. When it comes to church world, be careful about doing business within church. I realize that people do business within church. I'm not against that. You want to support your brother in Christ and whatever, and I'm all for that, and I think that's great, and we've got a lot of business owners here and godly men and godly families and all of that. I'm not, I'm not speaking about that, but let me just say this. If you're not mature enough to be able to deal with conflict, if you're one of these people that just flies off the handle when it comes to money, just find someone else to do business with, you know? Uh, because, you know, it, it just that way you can fire them and it doesn't make church awkward, okay? And if you don't have the maturity to deal with that, because I'm, I'm here to tell you, Matthew 5 and verse 9, and I'm thankful, I don't know that we've had problems like that. I don't know of any problems that we've had like that. I'm thankful for that. But sometimes it's good to just preach these things, you know, proactively. You know, I mean, if, if you're going to just be ready and realize that, hey, this is a brother in Christ, this is a sister in Christ, and, and you want to be honest and truthful, but if somebody wrongs you, sometimes, now look, you have to decide, well, how far do I take that? Because sometimes you have to take it to the church and, and, and deal with it, and, and the Bible says at that point, you treat them as a heathen, as a heathen man. And, and you're not treating them like a believer, they're stealing from you or whatever, but the truth is that we should always strive at first initially to be peacemakers. Matthew chapter 5 and verse 9, notice what the Bible says. Blessed, this is what Jesus said, blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called the children of God. The truth is this, that in your marriage, and by the way, this definitely applies in your marriage, because you shouldn't be, you know, taking your spouse to court, divorce court. Often the only way to end a conflict is to take the hit and turn the other cheek, is to take the loss and give them your cloak also, is to take the wrong and suffer yourself to be defrauded. Sometimes the best way to, and you know, I have, I have learned sometimes you get into conflict, into these things, and they said this, or you say this back, and then they said this, or, and then at some point, someone's got to be the grown-up and say, okay, whatever. Well, do you know what they said about you? I'm not going to respond. Why? Because the Bible says to turn the other cheek. The Bible says to suffer yourself to be defrauded. The Bible says... Why do you not rather take the wrong? The Bible says, let them have thy cloak also. 
The Bible says sometimes the best thing to do is just to be the bigger person, is to be the, the more mature person and say, that's fine, whatever. It's no big deal. How do we deflect conflict? We deflect it by seeming other better than ourselves. We deflect it by being the bigger person. Go back to Esther, Esther chapter 1, if you would. If you kept your place in Proverbs there, you go backwards from Proverbs to Psalms to Job to Esther. Esther chapter 1. And look, again, I'm not, I'm not saying that there are not times where you have to stand up for yourself and, and maybe, you know, the amount that you're dealing with or the, the seriousness that you're dealing with, you do need to. There are times where you just have to say, I, this is not something I can turn the other cheek. I need to deal with this. I need to confront them. I need to bring two witnesses. We need to bring it before the church. All that. There, there's times for that. But that's not every time. And, and you need to be careful. And this is why I tell people, you know, when, by the time you get into that second step of bringing two witnesses, you need to be involving this guy or be involving that gal over there, my wife. Because what I don't want to do is develop this culture where, you know, every week the same person's just taking two witnesses. Like, every week they're just like, you're sitting in my chair, you parked in my parking spot, I don't like your face, you know, just, and, and you're just constantly calling people out. That's not healthy. That's for an extreme. Sometimes it's needed. And sometimes we have to do it. But, you know, most of the time, we need to just esteem other better than ourselves. And turn the other cheek. Esther chapter 1. Remember the story of our couple here? How did they end in divorce? Vashti's taken from her kingdom, and it's given to another. What could have happened here, though? Here they've got... The, the king doing his feast in verse 5, and when these days were expired, the king made a feast unto all the people that were present in Shushan the palace, both unto great and small, seven days in the court of the garden of the king's palace. Verse 9, also Vashti the queen made a feast for the women in the royal house which belonged to King Ahasuerus. On the seventh day, when the heart of the king was merry with wine, he commanded Mahuman and Bistha and Harbona and Bigtha and Abagtha and Zitha and Carcass, the seven chamberlains to, uh, that served in the presence of Ahasuerus the king, to bring Vashti the queen before the king with the crown royal. And when this commandment came, when this commandment came, Vashti was not happy with it. He said, bring her to show the people and the princess her beauty, for she was fair to look on. But the queen, Vashti, refused to come. Now again, we could look at this through the lens of love and reverence, and I've actually preached sermons about that from this very passage. I won't take the time to develop it. But here, just know this. Whenever there's a conflict between a husband and a wife, know this, that some line was crossed regarding love and reverence. If you remember that sermon, men want reverence, Women want love. Here, Vashti, she's, she's asked to come, and she's not happy. She's not happy about, she's not feeling very loved, so she gives disrespect. She refuses in front of all of these people to obey the command of the king. Now, why was Vashti not feeling loved? I don't know. You could look at a lot of things here that might uh, give you some thoughts in regards to that. First of all, she's being used as a trophy wife to show the people and the princess her beauty. Also, we didn't read it, but in the context, the king is here on his second party. He's having a party in verse 5 that lasts seven days, right after he just ended another party that lasted six months. So for six months, he's been hanging out with his buddies. For six months, he's been hanging out with his friends. For six months, he's been out drinking and doing whatever. So yeah, when he, he bring my wife out here, let's, let's spend some time with my wife. She's like, no. She hasn't been feeling love for the last six months, probably. I mean, I would imagine, because it all comes down to this, love and reverence, love and reverence. She's not feeling love, so she shows disrespect. She refuses to come, verse 11, to bring Vashti the queen before the king with the crown royal to show the people and the princess her beauty, for she was fair to look on. But the queen Vashti refused to come at the king's commandment by his chamberlain. Therefore, was the king very wroth, and his anger burned in him. They're fighting, they're upset with each other, and they end up divorced. But, you know, they could have chosen to not recompense evil with evil. And look, both sides here are wrong. Both sides 
could have chosen. Vashti could have said, he's been doing me wrong by ignoring me for the last six months, but, and I'm going to get him back and embarrass him in front of his friends. She could have just decided to not recompense evil with evil, to esteem him better than herself, even if she deserves it or not, and to just submit to him. Or when he is disrespected, he could have chosen to not recompense evil with evil, and to not go to his buddies and get uh, advice on divorce, and to remove him from... He could have just esteemed her better than himself, he could have been the bigger person. See, the point is this. Oftentimes, fights, they just escalate. They get worse and worse, and then our pride kicks in. That's the worst thing. Our pride kicks in. Then we can't back down because to back down means to admit that we were wrong or to admit that, that we lost or to admit some crazy thing like that. By the way, that's why it's, it's not wise to get into Even out soul winning, don't get into these fights with people. Then, you know, it, it, you, when you first start going soul winning, you know, you don't, you, don't, you don't have the maturity to understand this. You get in some fight with some Jehovah's Witness, you know, you're three hours into this thing, and you're like, I want to leave now, but I, you know, I, I got to stake this thing out because I don't want my soul winning ca- partner to think I'm weak. And your soul winning partner doesn't think you're weak, he thinks you're an idiot. You know, and, and that's why the Bible says, you know, against a heretic, receive, you know, don't, don't sit there and just give him the first and second admonition and then reject. You know, and, but, and, 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 and here's the thing, it's better to not fight because it escalates and then you can't back down. Look, it's just better to be a humble person and say, I'm sorry, you're right. I'm going to esteem you better than myself. Sure, you can, we can do it that way. Sure, you, we can go. You say, is that right? Is that wrong? Look, this is what the Bible says. The wise thing to do is just to avoid conflict altogether. And there, there are so many fights that people get into, and, 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 and you look at them and you think to yourself, you really didn't have to go down that road. You could have just responded with a soft answer. You could have responded without angry, without being angry. You could have not recompensed evil with evil. You could have esteemed others better than yourself. You could have been the bigger person and taken the fault and, t- and taken the hit, and you could have been done with it and moved on, and been better and wiser for it. Let's bow our heads and have a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, thank you, Lord, for allowing us to study these concepts out in Scripture. And Lord, obviously no one here is perfect. Every single one of us can say the wrong thing and get in the flesh and say things we shouldn't say. Everyone here. But Lord, I pray you'd help us to get better at these things. To realize that sometimes the best thing to do is to not engage in a fight, but just to sidestep it. To not engage in a fight, but just to esteem out of the better in ourselves. And Lord, I pray you'd help us to be humble enough to do that. Sometimes it feels like we lost, or like we didn't defend ourselves. But this is what Jesus taught to do. Help us to be peacemakers. In the matchless name of Christ, we pray. Amen.